This is Shifting Our Schools episode 151, The Future of Assessment with Tyler Rablin. Shifting Our Schools happens with small, significant steps forward. This week, Jeff Utick is back to tour us through a way to keep taking those steps with another free Shifting Schools resource. Before you listen, we want to remind you that this episode has a ready-to-use meeting map so you can use this episode with your team. Be sure to find the link in our show notes. Okay, educators, ready to dig in, unlearn, and prepare to spark the next shift at your school? Then let's kick off this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick, and I hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. Today, I want to talk about the A word in education, assessment. But before we get into that, I have a really important update from one of our former webinar hosts, the team of the nonprofit organization Pride and Less Prejudice. By the way, the link to all our free webinars is in today's show notes. They have a great opportunity for educators coming up, and I wanted to share that with you. Here's Lisa to tell you more. Hi, my name is Lisa Foreman, and I'm the founder of Pride and Less Prejudice. Our mission is to promote positive LGBTQ plus representation by providing free, age-appropriate LGBTQ plus books to pre-K through third grade classrooms in the United States and Canada. Since we began in November of 2019, we are so happy to say that we have raised over $20,000 and sent over 1,200 books. Currently, we are receiving over 100 requests for free books from teachers every month. So in order for us to keep up with the demand, we continue to create educational opportunities that will also help us raise some money. We are super, super excited that on Saturday, March 20th, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are hosting See Yourself, Be Yourself, a celebrity panel on LGBTQ media representation. The panel features LGBTQ activists Nicole Maines from Supergirl and Bit, Daryl Stevens from Noah's Ark and Be Positive, Theo Germain from The Politician and Work in Progress, and Andrew Keenan Bulger from Newsies. And it'll be moderated by Ebony Bell, the owner and editor-in-chief of Tag Magazine. This will be a 60-minute moderated panel discussion, followed by a 30-minute question and answer. Tickets start at $20, and all the proceeds will be used to provide free, age-appropriate, LGBTQ-inclusive books to classrooms from pre-K to third grade throughout the United States and Canada. You can register for the event at www.prideandlessprejudice.org slash event dash registration. Can't wait to have you be part of the conversation. See you soon. Thank you, Lisa, for this great opportunity and for all the work you do for students everywhere. Now, I want you to take a moment with me and try to go back to when you were in high school. For me, I'm thinking junior year 1993. Give yourself a moment. What would you have been wearing? What was your morning routine when you got to school? I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, now that you are there, when I say assessment, what pops into your head? For me, it is two things. 
one math tests, which I dreaded and would literally would make me sick to my stomach every time I had to take one. And two, pop quizzes. In social studies class specifically, where every day starting on the first day of class, we came into the classroom, we numbered our paper 1 to 27, and wrote the amendments to the Constitution in order. Oh no, we didn't have to know what they meant. We just needed to know them. In order. Today, I still can't tell you what all 27 of them are in. In order, of course. The biggest issue we have to overcome as educators is that we went through the system we are now a part of. We remember what school looked like, smelled like, and was like. If we were successful at it, which most teachers were, then we consciously or subconsciously try to recreate our best classes for our students. There isn't anything inherently wrong with that, except for the fact that my high school experience is nowhere near the same as any high school I've been in lately. I know I'm focusing on high school here, but it goes for any grade level, any school. Education is not and should not look the same for my students as it did for me. If it does, well, that explains some things. There are a lot of things I have had to unlearn as an educator, and I'm unlearning more and more every day, especially through the pandemic, and supporting districts, schools, and educators the best we can. But I would bet for most educators, the most unlearning is happening and will need to continue to happen around our assessment practices. The governor of my state here in Washington announced last week that we are bringing kids back to school statewide. By April 19th, every student, K-12, must have the option to be in school at least two days a week. The two main reasons he cited for doing this, one, the mental health of our students, love we're putting the social-emotional well-being of our students first, and second, 25% of high school students are failing at least one class. For a state, according to U.S. News, that ranks fourth in education, this is unacceptable. One of the issues this pandemic has pointed out to many around the nation is the fact that the way we are assessing was broken. We were using assessment as a way to have students be compliant in school. And a year ago, when school no longer existed and we were left with just learning, our grading practices no longer worked alongside them. I'd be willing to bet money that most teachers would not define assessment the way modern educational leaders define it. In his book, Embedded Formative Assessment, Dylan Williams said one of the characteristics of formative assessment should be that it, quote, activating students as learning resources for one another. Let me read that again. Formative assessment should, and I quote, Activate students as learning resources for one another. On today's episode, I'm excited to have Tyler Rablin on the show once again. In my mind, Tyler is a leading voice and practitioner when it comes to modern assessment approaches. He's a leader in our state for sure, and his work with Edutopia and the fact that he has six sessions coming up at our regional conference this week isn't a fluke. He's also no stranger to the show. As a matter of fact, he holds the record for the most listened to episode on Shifting Our Schools, episode 129. I know I still have much to unlearn and relearn when it comes to assessment practices, which is why I surround myself with thought leaders and practitioners like Tyler. 
Tyler doesn't just talk about doing assessment differently. He's doing it. He's a high school ELA teacher who is putting into practice everything he preaches. He's finding a way, creating systems that allows him to turn assessments into this thing that really matters to students, that students have a part in and somehow has also created a system to turn this student-focused assessment into this thing we call a grade in the gradebook. Let's remember, grades are not assessments, and assessments are not grades. They are two very different things that we must define both for ourselves and for our students. We know as educators, assessment isn't just critical, it is the crux of education. And teachers know we have a lot of bad practice to shed. We have a lot of unlearning to do. Thank you for being a Shifting Our Schools listener, and thank you for taking a moment this week to think about assessment with me. I strongly encourage you to follow Tyler on his Twitter account at Mr. Underscore Rablin. It's full of not just great tweets, but conversations with educators globally, thinking deeply about the changes that must occur in education to make sure we are preparing students for their future, not our past. In this interview, I pull three recent tweets from Tyler's Twitter account and have him dig in to the thoughts behind those 140 characters. I hope you enjoy, and with that, on with the show. Awesome. All right. Welcome, Tyler. It's so good to be here with you again. Thank you. Uh, it's always good to be able to sit down and talk with Tyler Rablin. And uh, we're going to be talking about assessment today. And we thought we would put Tyler on the hot seat and talk through some of these tweets he's been tweeting out. If you're not following Mr. Underscore Rablin on Twitter, you really should be. Uh, he's got incredible stuff that he's always sending out. And he goes on some rants that are downright uh, just awesome. And you're getting so much traction on them. I think that's what I really love. And that's what, when we picked a couple of these to kind of go through, I was just looking at like the first one we're going to talk about here, you know, 353 likes and retweeted 63 times and 37 comments. Like you're really engaging people in some of this ideas around uh, assessment and feedback. And I think that's just such a, a, a critical thing right now. As we're kind of getting going here, where are you seeing this going as we're talking about, you know, schools moving from remote to hybrid, to whatever school looks like in the future. Why is now, do you feel like a really good time to be looking at our assessment and feedback practices? I think a lot of it comes down to during the, sort of during the pandemic, when, when students were not in physical proximity to us and we were still assigning grades, we saw that what we assumed was working because of grades in terms of motivation and, you know, using them as sort of forms of compliance, we realized like, no, 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 it was proximity and sort of the guilt associated with grades that mm -hmm. was making students do things. And so as soon as they were not facing us every day, they started to realize like, oh, grades aren't, you know, I don't have to really worry about grades. And now teachers were panicking, like, wait, they don't care about grades. Like, yeah. how do I get them to learn? How do I help them understand things? And so I think everyone's realizing like the, the extent to which we thought our approach to grading was working isn't. And well, so I that's think where a lot of the questions come up. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, even here in the state of Washington, our governor came out last week and even said, you know, our F rate right now across the state is 25% of students have at least one F, which 
in high school, which is what you teach, um, you know, is costing kids actual credits to graduation. And we're seeing that, I think, in a big part because of everything that you're saying, right? We were not using grades to really show learning. And that's really what I want to I focus on today. So here we go. We're going to go through these tweets and we're going to look at them through the lens. Uh, we're going to have uh, Tyler explain himself. And then we're going to use one of our frames and you can download one, all of our, all of these conversation frames can be downloaded over at shiftingschools.com. These all come out of our free PDFs, um, but we're going to actually take these, uh, take you through these. So here's the first one on Twitter. Tyler says, it's not formative assessment if nothing changes as a result. So what should formative assessment be, Mr. Rablin? So the, the inspiration for that, I guess, came from so often I think we we say we're doing formative assessment when they we tell students like, hey, thumbs up if you get it, thumbs down if you don't. Mm. But rarely do we actually change the lesson as a result of that. So often it's just like, I think if we're being transparent, we would say thumbs up if you're paying attention, don't pay, you know, you wouldn't do thumbs down because they're not paying attention. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think too often we like, we cheapen assessment by sometimes formative assessment is for compliance and other times it's actually for learning. And I think, for me, the difference is, is something changing as a result? Or am I just saying, hey, pay attention, pay attention, are you paying attention? Um, so that's where that really came out of is, are we are we using a cheap form of formative assessments that, that's really just focused on compliance? Or are we really using uh, meaningful assessment to, to actually change how learning is happening in the classroom? And one of the things that I find really interesting when I'm talking with teachers is a lot of times when they tell me that they use formative assessment, they're really using check-ins. And a check-in with a student, thumbs up or thumbs down, is not actual formative assessment. Are you finding that too, that a lot of times what we say is like, teachers all the time are like, oh, I use a lot of formative assessment. I ask kids to raise their hand or, and I'm like, but that's a check-in. There's a difference between a check-in and an actual assessment that allows me to know where that child is so I can adapt the learning to that child. Yeah, and and I think it's helpful to just like I'm I wouldn't say stop doing it, but name it properly. Like my students are pretty used to me saying like, "Hey, I'm checking to make sure we're all here. Give me a thumbs up if you're, you know, like if you're still with me, if you're hanging with me." And I have found that they really appreciate it. And then when assessment does come around, it's not like, "Oh my gosh, another one of these things." But it's like, mm. "No, this is actually like meaningful for learning." And you know, he's really focused on our learning now. So I, you know, if it's gonna be something that's a check in or you know seeing who's who's there who's paying attention I, I don't think we have to stop doing it but i think it's helpful to name it as such mm, so students are aware that. of the purpose i love that all right so our frame we want to talk through with this one is called the mighty mites and so i uh, just asked you a couple mite questions uh where might someone go to learn more about formative assessment like what's been like maybe your go-to blog or book around like real formative assessment stuff you use with kiddos my favorite, and I will admit, he has a new book out that I haven't read yet. Uh, I think Myron Dweck, I believe is the author, wrote a book called uh, Grading Smarter, Not Harder. Mm. And that was one of the kind of game changers for me in terms of looking at assessment as not just we're collecting numbers and data, but really like we're gathering evidence of learning and, and guiding our practice that way. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for a book that for me, it was really practical. He, I believe he was or still is a middle school science teacher and was in the classroom when he wrote it. And so it's, you know, he's, he's giving us examples of basically like yesterday I did this with my students and it was really kind of there. It was a good blend of theory and practice. Mm, and so right. it's grading smarter, not harder is my go-to book for people kind of looking to start out. 
Awesome. And we'll make sure that we can put a link to that in the show notes as well. All right. Tweet number two. Uh, this is probably my favorite tweet. I love this one. Uh, so here's what Tyler writes. If I am the... If I am the method of content delivery, I can communicate one concept to 30 kids at the same time. But if I leverage technology and help students foster mindsets conducive to ownership, 30 students can learn 30 different concepts at the exact same time. What does that look like in practice in your classroom? Rarely are all 30 students learning 30 different things at the exact same. <laughs> if I'm covering 30 different things that quickly, I should probably slow down anyway. <laughs> um, for me, and it, I think the key in that one for me is this idea of fostering mindsets conducive to ownership, um, of really helping students, you know, I think on two, two ends of it, of really helping them understand what am, am I learning? What's the learning progression that I, you know, I could be following. But then also on the other side is, modeling for them how do i access resources so often when i you know students get stuck the first time i tell them to go on youtube and find a source they trust they're like shocked because they feel like they're cheating and right. i think sometimes they feel like that in schools where you know they think i'm not supposed to go anywhere except where the teacher tells me and i think like that is so harmful we should be telling them when you go outside of of the resources i'm giving you here's how to find things that are trustworthy and reliable and you know vetted and to read yeah. laterally and all those things but they should know like hey i want you to do that like that's how you learn outside of this school building that's how everybody learns yeah um so i think that's the key is are we helping them and showing them like this is what you can do and it's not bad it's great yeah and i think that mindset will lead to 30 different students learning 30 different concepts. You can, but that is something that, to your point, we need to foster and build in learners. Uh, we That is something I feel like we don't do very good in education. And I think we saw that when this pandemic hit. Uh, but it's been really interesting because I, I love to tell the story of my goddaughter. When I asked her, her school was going back to in-person uh, two days a week. And I said, so are you going to go back or are you going to stay remote? She's a sophomore. And she's like, well, I'll go back, but only until I start not doing good in physics. Then I'll go back online where I can use Google. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, here's a kid who gets it, right? She's already got this. She's like, well, why would I go to, like, I can learn better when I have other resources at my availability that we don't allow kids to use in school. Mm -hmm. You know, and if she is allowed to still do the same amount of work or do the same work, but have a resource, that she's able to use at home. She's not cheating. Everybody's got Google at home. Why wouldn't you take that as a resource, right? And I just, I love that from her. I was like, nah, smart kid, you know? <laughs> we'll see how long she makes it back in person before she goes, <laughs> before she goes uh, back yeah. remote. So I love that. All right. Uh, third and final tweet that we pulled is all about grade books. Here's the tweet from Tyler. Online grade books are made for adults, not kids. I feel pretty confident saying this without any exceptions. What would it look like if we built a record keeping system for learning that was made with the student experience at the focal point, as the focal point? And again, this has been liked 353 times, been retweeted 63 times and quite the conversation. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what, what are you seeing when you, when you send out a, a tweet like this? Yeah, the conversation was really interesting. Um, there was... I, the first thing that caught my attention is so many people said basically like it would never get traction because the reality is the kids don't have the money to be buying the grade books. And I, <laughs> I thought like, we've got, we've got some realists out there and I yeah. appreciate it because that's, you know, that is sort of the truth and it, but it did drive home this idea that, you know, 
we may never have a, a big company driven grade book that's good for kids. And, you know, we can keep banging our heads against the wall or we can say, how, how can we do both? Right. Like recognizing that the grade book meets the needs of adults in the system and there is value there. But also, can we have another spot of record keeping that is more meaningful for students? Um, and so, like for me, I have two separate record keeping systems. Um, my primary one is the one where I gather data on student learning and then I just figure out what needs to go into the grade book to, you know, do what the system needs. And I transfer that stuff over there and I still have sort of this untouched space where learning is the focus. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that is probably the hardest thing for teachers to kind of wrap their head around. I mean, the number of times I've had teachers come to me and say, Jeff, I'd love to do project-based learning, but I need to put grades in the grade book at the end of every day, or I need to, whatever it is, like I've got this grading system over here, whatever name the grading system. And Jeff, it only takes ABCDs or it only takes a percentage grade. It doesn't allow me to do this other stuff. And one thing I love is like, you're so good at explaining how do you take the learning and make it magically appear into an ABC, you know, DF. Um, and I'm excited that, you know, through the course, we're running an assessment, meaningful assessment course here starting uh, next week from when this podcast is going out. And that's a big part of it. So as we're thinking about that, we're going to use the uh, drill bits and retrofits uh, protocol. What's a drill bit that maybe teachers could do right now? What's maybe one little change that a teacher could do right now to kind of think about this idea? I think the a great place to start is to try to start figuring out where, where the, the process of taking learning and putting it into the gradebook, how we can include students in that process. Mm. Um, so most of what gets transferred from my own sort of learning grade book into the official grade book is the result of a conversation that I have every couple of weeks. I don't get, I don't have time to do it every week, but every couple of weeks to sit down with students and just kind of look through their data and say, listen, I'm going to put scores in for X, Y, and Z. Like let's, where, where do you think you fall? Um, and you know, that way I'm still meeting the needs of the system, but sure. I really like the, the student then is an active participant. So even if you're not overhauling everything, really just asking yourself, how can this grading process be a two-way conversation as opposed mm -hmm. to like normally students sit there and grading is done to them right? Um, as opposed to how can they be involved in that process and have some sort of a voice there. Awesome. And then what would be a retrofit? What is something that you see most teachers are already doing that maybe with this a little tweak might allow to unlock some of this potential? I think, and I might be wrong, but most teachers, I don't know why, most teachers, we still distrust the grade book that we put things into. So a lot of us have like our own spreadsheet or our own physical handwritten grade book still somewhere. And I guess the tweak I would say is, you know, right now, most of it is probably organized like quiz one, quiz two, chapter questions. I would I'm say tasked. add a header. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's task-based. Yeah, right. If you can add a header and sort of reorganize it so that it becomes learning based. So instead of, you know, quiz one, test one, all these things mixed together, it's here's one skill and create five spots underneath that. And those are the attempts. And here's another skill. So you don't have to, you know, throw out your your process of, of 
a grade book. It's just organized slightly differently to help you see trends and patterns regarding specific learning and specific skills as opposed to just tasks and how they so did if I, So if I'm a math teacher, I might put a heading at the top that is balancing equations. And then underneath that would be my five, my five tries, which might be a test, a quiz, two assignments would all be underneath that heading so that I have a well-rounded picture of what that child has done or what that student has done underneath that learning. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Cause then you can see, it helps you see growth and, you know, trends and you can give that data to students and it helps them see the meaning of those specific, you know, attempts at mm. learning and things like that. So it's just a, a little reorganizing, but I have found it to make it make a huge difference. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. If you are interested in taking the course with uh, Tyler, it's going to be six weeks. We meet for one hour a week. Uh, it'll be on Tuesdays and uh, he'll be talking and we'll actually go in depth around uh, some of these templates that he has around gradebook templates, uh, some other ways that he grades, other things, Tyler, that people can look forward to in the course. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a lot of, you know, we'll go through the whole process, everything from what is our, what are our beliefs about grades? Because mm. everybody differs on those all the way through to, you know, in this whole process, where does feedback come in? How is feedback yeah, involved in, in assessment? So yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll cover a pretty wide range of things in six weeks. I'm loving it. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Six weeks. I, I I'm excited to do it. I mean, I wanted to run the course just for my own learning. That's the reason why we're doing it now. So uh, it's great, but uh, thank you. And hopefully uh, we'll see you. Uh, you can find out more information and get more of the details over at shiftingschools.com. Thanks Tyler for spending a little bit of time with us today. Thanks Jeff. Always fun talking. I hope you enjoyed that insight into Tyler's thinking around assessment. In the show notes, you will find the link to our free feedback self-paced pathway that includes Tyler's thoughts and examples from his own classroom. And if you are a middle school or high school teacher and you'd like to really dig into changing your assessment practices that support student learning, please head over to shiftingschools.com and sign up for Tyler's six-week course. Through this course, You'll walk away with gradebook templates, feedback portfolios, student conferencing templates, and assessment blueprint templates. I know right now with the pandemic happening, with schools transitioning students back into the classroom and trying to figure out how to teach in a hybrid or cohort setting, this might not feel like the right time to dig into this topic. However, I feel like this is the perfect time. Education is disrupted right now. Your classroom is not normal. The kids are not normal. There is nothing normal right now. And it's in these moments of not being normal that aspects of the educational system, like the way we assess students, needs to change. What percentage of your students are failing? Is that acceptable to you? If not, then maybe it's not the kids. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's our systems. Until next time, I'll see you on the network. Thank you for being a part of the hashtag Shifting Schools community. We love when listeners like you weigh in. So head over to our show notes to find ways to share your thoughts. Have a request for a future episode? Jeff and his team love supporting you with the content you need. Shifting Our Schools podcast is a proud production of the Shifting Schools team. Looking for a longer interactive conversation about the ideas shared in this session? Contact us at info at 
shiftingschools.com to find out about our workshops.